Four Points Online. We are so honored that you're with us here today. And if God has used this ministry to change your life, we want to hear about it. So go to fourpoints.org slash mystory and tell us. You know what, it's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. If you want to give and be a part of what God's doing here at Four Points, go to our website and choose the safe and secure option. Or you can download our app and give there as well. And now we are so excited about hearing a powerful word from God today. Good morning, Four Points. Leah and I are actually at Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, preaching for our great friends, uh, Pastor Tavner and Daniel Smith this morning. And this morning we got a special treat for you. My good friend Cliff Marshall has come to preach this morning. I'm so excited about him being here. Um, he's been such a great mentor and friend to us, and I hope that you guys will welcome him. He's got a word for you today, and I'm telling you, if you'll lean in and listen, I believe God is going to use this to really help in a place of hurt in your past. So stand to your feet and let's welcome my great friend, Cliff Marshall. Hey, good morning. So, uh, so excited to be here with you today. I said this at the first uh, service that nobody does a better job of making you feel welcome than Four Points. And uh, I get a chance to go around and do this some, and y'all have just rolled out the red carpet, and I feel so at home here. I love this church, love your pastor. I'm going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But as Mark said, my name's Cliff Marshall. I work for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I help churches get planted all over this state, and that's what I'm passionate about. I planted a church in Greer several years ago, Freedom Fellowship, and uh, we're still a part of that church. And, uh, and I'm thankful this service it wasn't true at the last service. I got my wife with me here. My wife Sherry is here. <clears throat> been married, we've been married for 27 years, and uh, we have two kids, 23 and 17, and our baby girl is getting ready to leave for college next month, and so we're going to be empty nesters, which seems kind of weird. We feel like we just got started uh, having babies, and, uh, and so, but we're looking forward to it because we really like each other a lot, so it's going to be fun, uh, but now we're going to cry when we drop her off. Just, uh, we were talking about that last night, and she said, you know, when we take Grace to Charleston Southern, I'm going to cry. I said, yeah, I'm going to be crying right there with you, so we're going to do that, but we are really looking forward to uh, to having some time, just the two of us. I, uh, I'm doubly honored to be here. I'm honored anytime a pastor of a church trusts me enough to stand in his place and teach when he's gone. Uh, in what, what we would call, I grew up in an old-timey church, we would call stand in his pulpit, right? And uh, so I really am, am honored to do that, but I'm doubly honored today because uh, of what I have experienced as a friend with, with your pastor, Mark. Um, in fact, I would, should say our pastor because Mark has been a pastor to, to me and Sherry, uh, especially over the last three years. Um, we have, I'm going to talk today, uh, we're going to talk today about some of this, but we're, we've experienced some stuff in the last three years and are still in the middle of it that we never expected. Came out of nowhere, uh, and to be honest with you, there are certain days it feels like it's overwhelming us. And your pastor has been a pastor to me to my heart. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I'll get a text from him that just says, hey, just want you to know, I don't know why, but I'm praying for you right now. I feel like I need to. And it's always in those times when I was so close to just feeling like it was over, 
that, uh, that couldn't go on. So today we're talking, uh, we're in this series called Throat Punch, and I'm not sure if that means that it's stuff that you want to punch in the throat or stuff that you feel like is punching you in the throat, but I think what we're going to talk today about is, is, is both of those. So uh, let, let me start by asking you a question, uh, and I want you to raise your hand. I want this to be interactive, so if you feel like saying something, you know, shout it out or whatever, and that's not a problem normally at four points, but just want to let you know. Um, if you grew up in church, raise your hand. Just put your hand up in the air. All right, I can see the Pentecostals. They got both hands in the air. <laughs> and um, so I grew up in church just like uh, most of you did. And, uh, and in fact, I always joke and tell people that I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. And uh, we, when I grew up, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I never saw the first half of a Super Bowl until I went to college and I could lay out and watch it. I mean, you know, because at our house, you went. When the doors are open, you went. Uh, I, you know, I always joke with young people when it's prom weekend, you know, they go to the prom on Saturday night and then they lay out of church the next morning. At my house, when I was growing up, my dad told me, you don't have a curfew tonight. First time in my life, I didn't have a curfew. He said, but just remember, Sunday school starts at 945. So I knew I had to be in church. Now, one of the things growing up in the church like I did is, is we would have from time to time, especially during spring revival, you remember spring revivals, especially during spring revival, we'd have people that would come give their testimony, right? And they'd be usually people from somewhere far off. Remember one time we had a dude that was in the Hells Angels before he came to know Jesus. I didn't even know as a nine-year-old what Hells Angels were, but it sounded awesome, Right. <laughs> And, and so we would have these people give their testimonies, and, and, um, and here's normally how the testimony, now testimony is the story of how someone came to, to trust in Jesus, and the, the testimonies usually kind of followed this pattern. See if you're familiar with this, those of you that grew up in church. I was born to a mother who was a prostitute who was addicted to homemade meth, and she dropped me off on the streets of Spartanburg when I was a baby. I was raised in a cardboard box by wolves. And by age six, I'd robbed my first liquor store. By age 10, I was selling weed. By age 18, I had a $5,000 a week heroin business I was in charge of. In my later 20s and early 30s, I had lost everything. I was living in dumpsters and uh, just trying to make ends meet by eating out of dumpsters every night. One night, I was in a dumpster, and someone had thrown a Bible away. And I went to grab a half-eaten piece of pizza, and it was holding the Bible open to John 3.16. I read John 3.16. And I knelt in the dumpster and gave my life to Jesus. The next week, a Fortune 500 company offered me a position as their CEO. Now I'm married to a woman who looks like a supermodel and has all the spiritual uh, qualities of a Proverbs 31 woman. We have 3.5 kids. They all make straight A's. And every day is trips to Disney World and sunshine and stars and unicorns. How many of you have ever heard a testimony like that? <clears throat> I grew up hearing a lot of those testimonies. And I'm not pointing the finger at, at my church that I was raised in or pointing the finger at those people that shared those stories. But as a young person, hearing that story year after year, here's what I began to believe about life. That once you are a follower of Jesus, there's no pain. Once you're a follower of Jesus, everything is smooth. Once you're a follower of Jesus, the difficult times in life don't exist anymore. And I wish I could stand up here today and tell you that's true. The main reason I wish I could tell you that's true is I'm a follower of Jesus, and I wish it was true for me. And I know you wish it was true for you. But I want to, I want to show you what the Scripture says. And I just picked two verses out of many in the Scripture that give this same message. So if you've got a Bible, look at 1 Peter. Then we're going to look at James. All the Scripture is going to be on the screen. 1 Peter 4, 
12 through 13 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the words that are used in those verses. Fiery trial, sufferings, trials, testing. When I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was Rocky Three, And uh, I like, yes, I, saw, I like all the Rocky movies, but to me, Rocky Three is the best. And the reason it's the best is because of Mr. T. Mr. T is the bad guy and Rocky III plays Clubber Lang and he takes the Rocky franchise to its highest heights just by his presence on the screen. And one of my favorite parts of Rocky III is when they're getting ready for the first fight and the, the guy from the TV station is interviewing Clubber Lang and he asks him if he has a prediction for the fight against Rocky Balboa. And Mr. T, Clubber Lang says, prediction. And then he looks right in the camera and says, pain. It's his prediction for the fight. I will make a prediction for you today, and that is this. In life, we will have pain. In life, we will have pain. Now, for some of you, if you're young especially, maybe I'm breaking the news to you. Sorry to let you know. But for most of you in here, you probably don't need me to tell you that. You know it. You, you've lived through it. You're living through it now. Some of you know what it's like to go to the doctor and hear him say cancer and then walk through that. Some of you know what it's like to work hard at a job and one day walk in and find out that it's being downsized and now you're looking for something else to do and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Some of you know what it's like to grow up in a home where every day when you came home from school, you had no idea if you were going to be abused that night or not. Some of you know what it's like to sit by the bedside of your parent who's dying of Alzheimer's and they look at you with a blank look, they'd have no idea who you are. Some of you know what it's like to get a phone call and to find out that one of your children has been arrested. You've been through those things. You know that in this life we'll have pain. See, the problem with believing what I used to believe about pain in the Christian life, the problem with having that bad theology of pain is, is that when you're in the middle of something difficult, when you're in the middle of the hardest time in your life, all of a sudden you're not just dealing with that, you're also dealing with guilt and shame because you are thinking, well, if only I was a better Christian, if only I loved more, if only I had given more, if only I was doing what I was supposed to do, this wouldn't be happening to me. But I want you to know today that the righteous and the unrighteous experience pain. You know what I think is interesting about 1 Peter and James and what, what's said in those verses about sufferings and trials and fiery ordeal is this. Both of those books of the Bible were written to devoted followers of Christ. In fact, they were written to the most devoted followers of Christ. They were written to the followers of Christ who had been cast out because of their devotion to the gospel. And so Paul, I mean, James and Peter both say, even though you love him, even though you've given all to follow him, there will be sufferings. There will be a fiery ordeal. There will be trials. Because in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, do not be surprised 
at the fiery trial when it comes your way. And then in James chapter 1, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if, but when. One of my friends that I work with is a man by the name of Ron Barker. Ron's an older guy. I call him Uncle Ron because he kind of seems like your uncle, you know, that's always got funny stories and stuff to tell you and, and things that are really important. And one of the things Uncle Ron says is this. In the middle of following Jesus, life happens. In the middle of following Jesus, life happens. You can be on the path doing exactly what God has called you to do in the direction you're supposed to go, doing everything that you know to do, being in the Word, being in worship, praying, having relationships with people, and still these things will come and they will cause us pain. Now, I told you at the beginning that, that my wife and I uh, and our family, we're, we're experiencing that right now. And so when I stand here today, I, that doesn't make me an expert. That doesn't mean you need to listen to me more than anybody else. But I tell you that because I want you to know that what I'm sharing with you today is not just classroom talk. It's not something that I've just read in a book somewhere that I think would be a good message for Four Points Church to hear. This is real life for us because we're in it every day. It's gritty and it's dirty and it's difficult. And I know that's where some of you live. One of the things I'm learning over these last three years is that pain is a great teacher. Pain is a great teacher. Now, here's the, here's the tricky part of that. That when you're in the middle of pain, you can learn false lessons just as quickly as you learn lessons that are true. Um, I don't know about y'all. One thing that I'm kind of weary of in, in the world today is advertising. Is anybody else weary of advertising? I, I, I'm tired of hearing about uh, new data plans that can change my life and, and new and improved phones. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about medicines that will treat all my ailments but have a long list of, of uh, side effects that sound worse than the, you know, the very thing you're taking it for. Um, and if I have to hear Jay Gilstrap tell me one more time about how much money I can save, I'm going to take the car I'm in and drive it into a wall, right? It just drives me crazy. But, but the, reason, the reason those ads just have, have gotten me to where I'm just so tired of them is that they seem to just be so in your face and they seem to drown out everything else and so obnoxious. But, but I've, got a, I've got a trick for those ads. It's called the mute button. And I use it liberally uh, when, I'm, when I'm in those situations. When, when you're in the middle of pain, there is a, there's an enemy in your life that wants to bombard you and give you false messages that will seem to drown out everything else. And that enemy is, is Satan, the devil. What My favorite word for him is what Jesus called him, the father of lies. And the reason that's my favorite word for him is because it reminds me that everything that comes out of his mouth is, is not true. And, and it's not just that he lies, he is the father of lies. So he cannot speak the truth. And, and one of the things that that the father of lies wants you to believe when you're in the middle of pain, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to take pain and he wants to pain to teach you that there should be a wedge between you and Jesus and there should be a wedge between you and the, the bride of Christ, which is, which is the church. And one of the things that I see over and over and over again in people's lives is that when they're in the middle of their most difficult time, they're in the middle of their most pain, they think then that's the time to withdraw. 
And they want to they not be at church anymore. They want to withdraw from those godly relationships. They want to withdraw from the word. They want to withdraw from prayer. And that's when they need it more than anything. But they're believing the false truth. The pain, what pain is teaching them is a false truth from the father of lies that the best thing to do when you're in pain is to withdraw because you're not good enough anymore. The, the people up on the stage at Four Points, they don't go through what I'm going through. The other people that are there, they don't go through what I'm going through. And so you want to withdraw from the very thing that you need to be, which is more involved and more reliant on the bride of Christ, the church, than you've ever been in your life. There have been times in the middle of what, what we're going through these last three years where I've looked at Sherry and I've said, you know what I want to do? I just want to move. I just want us to go somewhere where we don't know anybody. Delete all my social media which I probably need to do anyway. And just go somewhere, not even tell our families, and go somewhere warm. Because if I'm going to have to go through this much pain, I at least ought to be able to be at the beach. That's the kind of the, and, and I, that's the, kind of the feeling you have, which is I want to withdraw from the church, <clears throat> withdraw from the very church that I helped plant and that we're still there and is ministering to me greatly. Withdraw from Mark and his, and his guidance in my life. Withdraw from all that because it's easy to start to believe the lie that Satan's telling you. But in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that lie, the true lesson that God wants to teach you, that he wants to use pain to teach you, is that God will use pain to create greater intimacy with him. Greater intimacy than you've ever known with him. My struggle is still real. And, and, it, and maybe this coming week, I'm going to look at Sherry again and say, hey, let's just move somewhere. I mean, it's, 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 it, that's where it is. It's up and down. Every day is difficult. But here's what I've learned in the last three years is that I understand when Peter says in 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's teaching me to rejoice in the middle of that pain because I'm experiencing greater intimacy with him than I've ever experienced before. I understand in James chapter 1, verse 2, when James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. My relationship with Je Jesus is different than it was three years ago. My attitude about difficult things coming into my life is different than it was three years ago. I never would have prayed for this, I never would have read James chapter 1 and said, God, please send me some trials because I need some steadfastness in my life. But it's come, and he's been faithful to fulfill his promise. I'm more thankful than I've ever been. I'm more aware that grace that comes from Jesus cannot be earned. If it was up to me to earn it, I'd be in sad, sad shape. I'm more aware than ever that it's the cross and it's the resurrection. And all I can do is hold on to that and trust in that. See, one of the things that, that Satan wants to lie to you about is he wants to, to give you the false teaching that, that God can't be trusted. And he wants to, to sow seeds of doubt in your mind of whether or not God can be trusted. When you're in the middle of pain, it's easy to feel like God can't be trusted. But what God will do in the middle of that is he will show you the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love, just like Paul talks about in the book of Philippians. 
Satan will take this time of pain and he wants to teach you the false teaching that you aren't worthy of God's promises. There have been times in the middle of this where I've actually prayed and said to God, God, I believe every word in the Bible, but I just don't know if they're true for me. They're true for other people. They're true for the other folks at church, but I don't know if they're true for me because what I'm going through day by day just seems so overwhelming. But then what God wants to teach me through that pain when I have that doubt is that he wants me to understand that this time of pain is an opportunity for him to show his power. And sometimes, when I say show his power, you know, we always want to think about like just the amazing, you know, things that you've never seen before. Sometime in these last three years, the power of God for me has been the power to be able to get up out of bed and get in my car and go to work. Because the pain has seemed so strong and so deep that it took God's intentional power in my life for me to even be able to function on a day-to-day basis. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of the other things I'm learning through these days is that your best weapon for living with pain is prayer. Your best weapon for living with pain is prayer. Now, why do we pray? If you're a follower of Jesus, why do you pray? I mean, if we're honest, we pray mostly because we want something. We want to get something or we want a situation to be changed. We want it to be resolved. We, you know, you get a sick, you get a sick friend, and man, all of a sudden you're praying all the time. You've, you, maybe you had forgotten to pray for 48 hours, but when you got someone that's about to die, you're praying all the time because you're asking God to change the situation. You're asking God to bring healing, and we should do that. We're supposed to ask God. I mean, even people who don't really know if they believe in God or not, they'll pray when they get desperate enough. When things seem out of control, they will begin to pray. And so that's kind of why we pray. And, and I mean, and I'll be honest with you, this situation we're in, I pray so much because I want it fixed. I want this thing to be taken care of and there to be repentance and, and, there, and there to be, uh, you know, joy again in, in, in the life of the person I'm praying for. That's what I want. But even though we're supposed to ask, that's not why prayer is our best weapon in times of living in pain. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By the way, everything there. I'm not a Greek scholar. The New Testament was written in Greek, but I can use Google just as good as you can. And here's what I've learned. The word everything in that verse, it means everything means exactly the same in the Greek as it does in the English. So when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, he means if there's something in your life that's causing you difficulty, causing you pain, causing you to worry, pray about it. Even if it seems very insignificant in the light of the bigger world, or if you don't think the kingdom of heaven hinges on that, still pray about it. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is just a fancy biblical word that means asking. So we are supposed to ask. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now check this out in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The reason prayer is our best weapon when you're in the middle of living in pain is because you can have the peace of God even before the situation is resolved. Amen. 
You can have the peace of God before they tell you you're cancer-free. You can have the peace of God before the person that you're desperately crying out to God for day after day before they repent and come back. You can have the peace of God in the middle of the whole situation. Now, notice something here. Notice that, that Paul doesn't say anything about what you're praying for being resolved. He doesn't say, when you pray, you worry about this, God fixes it, and then you have peace. He says peace comes before the resolution. That's why it's a peace that passes understanding. If the thing that I'm desperately praying for, if it gets fixed tomorrow, I'm immediately going to have peace. I know that. But why? Because it's the way it, it's supposed to be, the way I want it to be. But the miracle happens when it hasn't happened yet and I have peace. And that's what Paul says. He says that it's a peace that passes understanding. So in the midst of it, you can have it. Because here's, here's the, the reality. What's causing you pain, what you're praying about, may be resolved by the end of the week. Or it may be resolved by the end of the month. Or it may not be resolved until next year at this time. Or... It may not be resolved in five years. It may not be resolved in 10 years. It may not even be resolved in 20 years. Or sometimes it's never resolved. You live with it until you're no longer on earth. And then it's resolved when you stand face to face with Jesus. And he welcomes you home. And you're able to look back on your life and see with clarity of what his plan was all along. But in the middle of all that whether it's resolved tomorrow or whether it's never resolved on the face of this earth, Paul says that we can have peace, that we can have this peace, and that's why it's a peace that passes understanding. Or as folks who live around here where we live say, a peace that don't make no sense. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to us. How can I have peace when the thing I'm desperately praying for has not yet happened? There's a... Uh, a thing that's going on in our world today that drives me nuts. Uh, these robocalls, do you get these on your phone? Where it's a, usually a number that's like really close to your number. And if you answer it, now here's what you should do. Just don't answer it, you know, or, or if you do answer it, then just hang up and, and, uh, and block that caller. But you answer it and there's usually a recording and the recording says, hello. I'm pleased to inform you, you've just won a free vacation to such and such or whatever. Press one if you're interested. Press two to be taken off our list. Of course, there's no press two option they're going to do. They want you to press one. So one day when I was off of work, had a lot of time on my hands, I got one of those calls, so I pressed one. Never had done it before. Let's see what's going to happen here. Well, the recorded voice went away, and a guy came on the phone. Now, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody's nationality, but let's just say this guy was not from around here, okay? And uh, he was a little hard to understand. And he's telling me about what I've won. And I had won. This is amazing. Y'all aren't going to believe it, but, man, I had won two vacations. It was awesome, <laughs> right? I had one vacation that was going to be like five days and six nights in Mexico, and then the, I'd also won a cruise on top of that. So these two amazing vacations were mine for free, right? So he's just telling me all this stuff, and, of course, I know he's lying to me. And I'm listening, and, I, and there's just all these lies coming at me. Uh, this attempt to deceive me, and this attempt to take something that's rightfully mine, which is my money. That's what this is all about. And, and so I'm listening to this whole thing, 
And as I'm listening, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just waiting for an opening. And I'm thinking, ah, there's going to be an opening here somewhere. And I'm going to, when the opening comes, I'm going to be able to jump in there and let this guy know that, hey, you're a liar. I know what you're trying to do, right? So I'm, I'm just listening. Never had done one of these. He's going on. He's asking me some questions. He asked me if I had a credit card, you know, because I knew at some point he's going to ask me for that information. I was like, yeah, I got a lot of credit cards, which I don't really have a lot, but I just said, I got a lot of credit cards. And so he's at, and then all of a sudden he asked me a question. I'm like, ah, there's my opening. He says, will you be traveling with someone? I said, yes. Yes, I will. He said, uh, could uh, you mind me asking who you'll be traveling with? And I was like, gotcha. I said, yeah, I was thinking about taking your mom. And so, now, now listen, Jesus has already forgiven me for that, but I don't even know if that's really a sin, because that guy had it coming. So, so I, I, I put that zinger in there. Now, here's the funny thing was, he did not think it was as funny as you did. Uh, in fact, he started cussing at me, which was even more funny because, because he was from somewhere else. He couldn't even say all the words right, so that made me laugh even harder. Now, why in the world do I tell you that story? Well, number one, that's a good story. I wanted to share it with you. Uh, number two is I, this has been a heavy message. I want to break the tension a little bit as we get ready to finish up, but here's the real reason. I'll tell you that story today because in the middle of that, there were lies coming at me. There was deceit coming at me. There was an attempt to steal something from me that was rightfully mine. And I was waiting for an opening. And I want you to know when you're, if you're living in pain right now, that, that the evil one is throwing lies at you, throwing deceit at you, and he's working hard to steal your joy and your peace which as a follower of Jesus, those are yours. Those are rightfully yours is what the scripture tells us. And he's working hard. He's working overtime to take that from you. And he's using that pain to take it. But through all of that, God wants you to know that he can teach you greater things about him than he's ever taught you before through that pain. And here's your opening. Here's your opportunity to have a your mama joke to the evil one. Philippians 4, 5 says this. I just read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Look at Philippians 4, 5, the last half of that verse. Right before Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he says this, the Lord is at hand. You know what that phrase at hand means in the original language that the New Testament was written in? It means to squeeze. And what I want you to know is that in the midst of your pain, God's not just close by. God's not just aware of what you're going through. God's not just holding you, but what the scripture tells us is he is squeezing you. He is squeezing you tight and there is nothing that can take you out of his hand. There is no lie that can be told to you. There's no loss of joy or loss of peace that can take you out of his hand. In life, you will have pain but you can have peace. That peace only comes through what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. The only way I can get out of the bed every morning 
and continue to function. The only way that we can continue, my wife and I, to enjoy marriage together and enjoy everything that we have in this world is because we know that the gospel is true, that Jesus is alive, he's no longer dead in the grave, and that he's overcome our sin. And that's the reason I can have peace and you can have peace. I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to bow your heads. Before I pray, if you are here today and you want today to understand more about who Jesus is, or if you're just going through a painful time and you need to talk to somebody, I want you right now, wherever you are, just slip up your hand or slip up both hands so we've got folks in the back that can recognize that and they will talk with you after the service. So be sure, go ahead and do that. Don't wait on somebody else. Just slip up your hand if you're struggling with that. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to continue to worship through song and worship through baptism. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that in the midst of the hardest things that life can throw at us, we can have peace. That there's pain in the middle of it, but there's peace in the middle of that pain. And so Father, we give praise and honor to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we know that when we are the weakest, you are at your best and that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Remind us that this week. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.